Welcome back to Redefine You, a conversation for well-being, where we have open and honest conversations with friends of mine in the industry to explore their ownership to self and mental well-being journey. As when one shares their vulnerability in such a way, we're encouraged to look within. I'm your host, Haley Hasselhoff. I'm an actor, model, fashion and well-being editor, but most importantly, a body positive and mental health advocate. Redefine You is meant to inspire you to look within and guide you to lead a life being grounded in you. Today, I'm so excited because we are going to dive into the mental well-being connection that it has on the pressures of the fashion industry and beyond. My guest today is a force to be reckoned with, who's been recultivating the fashion industry by creating a unique and innovative approach to styling. She's worked with top brands such as Betsy Johnson, Tommy Hilfiger, and People's Revolution. She styled not only myself, Bailey Madison, Chris Tucker, Matt Lanter, Willow Shields, and as well as dressing work for The Voice, Today Show, and late night TV, such as Jimmy Kimmel Live and Late Night with Seth Meyers. Please welcome my dear, dear friend, Audrey Brienne. Hi, baby. Hi. I'm so excited to have you on the pod. Thank you. I want to start off with one question I ask everybody on the pod. And it's if you were to check in with yourself right here, right now, Mm -hmm. what would you find? I would find someone that is uh, curiously searching still for um, for balance and for grounding um, well on my way, but, but definitely still in the process of. Oh, I think we're all in the process of, aren't we? So it's a good <laughs> place to be. And as yeah. long as you're still, you're still progressing, you're still going with it. Now exactly. we have been friends for over 10 years yeah. since back in the days when I did ABC family, huge, you were introduced to me as a stylist mm-hmm. and then we became beautiful friends and long lasting friends throughout it all. Um, so much has happened. So much yes. has developed between our relationship, the industry, how we speak to one another. I feel like as well, um, taking away the label of stylist and talent and just friend and friend and person to person. But I really want to start first with discussing your relationship with your mental well-being professionally and how the fashion industry has really impacted that. Um, just being in this industry, it's it's go, go, go. It's a hustle. And there's just, um, you know, you're meant to be on your toes. And that's like, mm. that's actually like a very light way of putting it, of being on your toes, because a lot's expected of you. Um, you know, for me, my mental health was, I'd say spotty going into this industry. Just um, I had been in and out of like healthcare um, therapy. Um, and I just, I think that, you know, fashion, it gave me a lot, like this industry has given me so much joy, but I'd, I'd be remiss to say that like, you know, it's, it's given, um, it has its challenges. Like it definitely has challenges to it. Where you started there, which is something that I didn't even know, you know, in your high school years, were you in therapy before you ended up kind of making that creative decision to come out to LA and focus on being a stylist? I was, yeah, at the urging of my parents um, when I was about 16 is the first time I ever went to therapy. So I was familiar with it. By the time I got out to Los Angeles, I had been with um, two different therapists in my youth. 
And at that point, you know, what was going on around you that you felt like therapy was a good need? And do you think you learned something from it then that maybe you still use with you here today? Um, I was in it because I had, I was unfortunately bulimic for a very, very long time. It started um, when I was about 15. So that was the initial kickstart of like why therapy was introduced into my life was in um, a group support uh, situation at Stanford Medical Center. Um, But yeah, I just, I think that um, where it helped me today it at least gave me the, the, the knowledge that, you know, therapy is out there. I'm glad that I was exposed to it at such a young age, because I think had I gone in my twenties and thirties, um, without it, I, I perhaps would have been a little more like apprehensive about going to therapy. Well, fast forward going into LA and being in a specific culture of society standards of beauty. Do you think there lended another sort of trigger to you and to what you'd been through? previously? I think so. Um, this industry is so based off of, you know, what you look like and, um, there's no way around that really in the entertainment and fashion industry. So it did bring up, you know, old demons, old battles that I had had with the eating disorder. Um, I had to get right with that. Like, not only do I have depression, which I know we'll get into, but you know, Mm -hmm. I had this eating disorder. And so I, I also had to address that because that was definitely something lurking in the background. Well, I first I'll say thank you for your honesty, your vulnerability and for sharing that. And I do think that, um, you know, it comes with an interesting perspective of how your surroundings can be triggers, even if you don't choose for them to be. Mm-hmm. And I think listening to you, knowing that that's a big you went through in high school to then come out to L.A., which sometimes I even feel like being in L.A. this past year, I've looked around and been like, whoa. I didn't know society standards of beauty was still around like this. So I was like, damn, okay, (laughs) we still got a lot of work to do. And it's like, you know, but you, you don't know that until you're put back into sort of that surrounding. And so I think you probably coming to LA and feeling like you felt grounded again to then be put in a situation must've been very challenging and difficult along the way. Um, and on top of that, do you think that maybe it also inflicted with some of the different talent that you were addressing? Do you feel like there were times or moments that the people you were addressing were also battling with this idea of perfection on red carpets and feeling like you had to be perfect and how that sort of related into you sort of having to be that confident for them by you look great all the time, you know what I mean? And, and reassuring that to the talent before they go out to sometimes a daunting experience like a red carpet for some. Definitely. These um, experiences of fittings, they are so person to person. Like they, we become really intimate fast, me and the client. And um, it definitely turns into, I jokingly say it turns into therapy sessions. Yeah. Um, a lot arises. I think not only are you being vulnerable with me in that setting, it, it's a physical and it's an emotional vulnerability. I think mm-hmm. that that develops in that um, stylist to, to client relationship and yeah, I definitely found myself having to put aside my own things and maybe even putting aside like um, my own insecurities and in order to tell, you know, the person that, of of course, that looks great. Um, Just really being their cheerleader. And sometimes that would take away from me cheerleading for myself because I was just so all in for the client. 
Yeah. And I, you know, and I applaud you for being, um, for the way that you have encouraged us all during those periods of time. Because when I started with you a long time ago, I was very young and I was very new to the industry. Even though I'd been, grew up in the industry, it was on my own merit when I was like 14, 15, 16, you know, I started to meet you and doing my own thing. And I was on a show where we were talking about body image so uh, planted in your face and then going on a red carpet where I was trying to be Haley and I didn't know what what my relationship was with my body. as Haley in the industry towards Haley in the industry as Amber, you know? So there were, I think moments where I had to sort of understand it's okay to show my legs in this capacity or it's okay to develop. And I think a lot of the people that you have also dressed, which points out to um, the credit of you being such an amazing friend, as well as a stylist is that you've worked with people like Taylor Spreitler, who's a good friend of mine. And both of us, you worked with us in periods in our lives where we developed from being teen stars to, young adult women. And I think that's hard for anybody when it comes to being a parent and trying to Mm -hmm. have somebody feel comfortable in their own skin, but then let alone having somebody that's feeling comfortable to then be able to take ownership of becoming a young adult um, could be really difficult. Can you speak to me a little bit on that as well? Because I'm sure that you've had some experiences or at least had some thought into, you know, how do I navigate this from Disney to, you know, ABC basically? Yeah, um, I, I've had the privilege to help navigate, you know, you and Taylor and many others in that crucial time of like when you when you are, you know, just um, developing a lot so much is changing and you're growing and, and questioning things and um, I love being able to get in there and I, I guess I do have to assume a role as a parent, especially for like younger people that I work with, um, like when we're talking yeah. like 15, 14, I, I take on that um, responsibility because I do think that I have to, um, there's a protective vibe that I get, like I, I feel a little protected of people and that I work with, so um, I try to be that parental role, I try to be that friend and guardian, I try to be a guidance if I can, um, because like you said, it's uh, it's tough enough going through adolescence, and I just can't imagine, you know, like for yourself, like growing up in this industry, just how how strong you have to be um, in order to take on that kind of a beast. I definitely know from experience, um, you know, when we're, when we're trying to get ready for red carpet, sometimes that anxiety or that anxiousness can happen. And I think it's such a young age for my own self looking back. I don't know if I really categorized it as anxiety or anxiousness. I think I categorized it more as nerves because I cared about it so much. And I think having a good team behind you, you included when I was at that age, was so wonderful to have that sort of surrounding and that support to know that I was beautiful. I had everything that I needed to know. You know, back then, I think it's so funny because I'm looking, I'm thinking to myself now, and I'm like, if I went on a red cover today, I'd just show up <laughs> and just be like, hey, I'm here. Like, you know what I mean? But like, you look back and you're like, so many years ago now, I mean, I think maybe the pandemic's obviously for sure put this into perspective as well. But, you know, so many, so many years ago, and I've been in this industry for over 10 years on my own merit, but then born into it that people don't really recognize is that there was a period during huge years where 
you know, you had to know what you were wearing on the carpet all the time. You had to have everything memorized. And I wasn't in the fashion industry like I was today. So like you would even give us little cheat sheets, to like put inside our little purses. And like, you know, there were things like that that was very different back then than it is today. But it did uh, put a lot more pressure on how you presented yourself down a red carpet and where that was going to shift you in your career and how it could lend to help you professionally to open up more doors um, and how you were seen as an actor and what you were going to kind of go into next. And I think, you yeah. know, that as well, it's like the way that you dress certain people. I don't know if you think feel that there's been a shift, but at least back in the day, I mean, like 10 years back in the day, you look back and I do know that there's moments where it's like, we had a big shoot coming up that we wanted to book a job where I was somebody who didn't wear a lot of makeup and was a bit more hippy dippy. We would start dressing me in that capacity on the streets so that it allowed for the public to already start to see me as that person. So do you feel like there has been a shift now that I am speaking about these, these things, or do you feel like it is still very similar to what it was like back in the day when you do work with somebody who maybe is a newer talent walking into the industry? I think that there's so much more acceptance now today. It yeah. was really, really cutthroat back in the day. Um, just even 10 years ago, that's not that long ago. But um, one of the things that I've noticed as far as just red carpet and kind of the um, not pitting ourselves against one another um, is the the whole like who wore it better thing. I love yeah. that that now is no, it's not that it no longer exists, but like it is, it is faded out. It's, such a phased out thing um, because it was just like, why are we pitting? Like, because usually it's females that we're talking about. Like, why are mm. we pitting women against each other? Like they yeah. can both wear the same thing and look beautiful in their own way. So that's like one of the, the major things that I've noticed is just the competitiveness that was really, really rampant back in the like two, early 2000s. Um, it's mellowed out quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot shifted, you know, even for myself when I got into fashion and really started to find my own voice and styling and and knowing what I needed for my body. And I think that that's kind of happened a lot within stylist relationships as well. A lot, a lot has shifted in the industry when it comes to what talent you stylist, what talent don't you stylist now and where they kind of lend themselves to. But what I will say to it is that no matter what a stylist is a part of your team, right? So at the end of the day, yeah. they become your family, they become a safe space and you have done that for so many, but I'm looking back and going like, well, who was there for you in those times where maybe mm. you had a client who was talking about her weight and had to be on a strict diet because she had a manager who told her so or X, Y, and so forth. You know, how did you then at the end of the day, go home and take care of Audrey and make sure that those triggers didn't turn into something um, that you weren't able to identify and walk alongside? I wish I could say that, you know, starting out and in the, the trajectory of my career that I was doing that, that I had a home base and a network and a support group and tools to lean on for myself. But um, I'd, I'd honestly be lying. I didn't have that back in the day. Um, I certainly um, could have used that safety net and I wish I had had that. But um, thankful that that now I definitely have a much just more secure um, sense of self and knowing, you know, triggers and how to deal with triggers. Um, I've, I've got a better grip on it now. But yeah, back back then um, I was so like 
green at everything that I just, I kind of soaked it all in and I took it all in and I, I didn't, I didn't have a release, um, for any of, of that, you know, just energy that's kind of coming at you all the time. Is in I style. think it's that, you know, that, that is, that comes with a, a lot of people don't have a release, you know, uh, mm-hmm. until I think that, well, even in my experience, I don't think I talked openly about it with many people. And I felt ashamed to speak openly about it, that it was this like thing that I needed to hide for a while so that I could keep going. And I mean, we've had moments in my life that you've been a part of as a friend where, you know, I've been hospitalized because of a leg injury, but that was also half part because of exhaustion you know so there was i've do i have been a uh a testament to this industry's fast 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 pace and not feeling like you should get off the bandwagon right yeah um and then it can sometimes be hard to speak openly about what you need and even just even for yourself know what you need because you think in that moment that that work lifestyle go 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 is actually feeding into your happiness and feeding into what's going to make you feel good now what we do know is that there has been a lot of losses over the past couple years from people in the fashion entertainment industry like Alexander McQueen, Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, and that were lost way too soon from silent suffering and then had their friends come out and make beautiful documentaries talking about how they saw them suffering, but didn't know how necessarily how to help or how to be able to be a voice to say he needs a day or she needs a day to, to rest, recoup and serve themselves before they can get back on that fast, that fast base. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've spoken to me about these deaths in the past and I want to know, you know, how do you feel like it really shook up the fashion industry as a whole? I mean, um, McQueen was the first time that I I remember being jolted by a celebrity death um, because it is it's just the manner in which he um, left was so sad. And, um, you know, we think of the brilliance and the radiance and all this light. That's what we Mm. get as the general public. But, um, as you said, it's just, you never know what someone is going through. Um, I'm sure those close to him, um, I, I have to believe had no idea because if you did have an idea, you would be in there doing everything in your, you know, power to, to help that person out. Um, so it's, it's such a silent, but deadly disease. Um, and so, yeah, McQueen, McQueen shook me up a lot. I, I really had to take time to process that. And then, you know, with the passing of Kate Spade, that was just, that jilted me out of nowhere. I think that one was very surprising for a lot of people, again, given her like public persona, just very like bright and like florals and just a very happy vibe. So mm-hmm. to, to lose her in that way as well was just so, so daunting. And, and then Anthony, um, that was just heartbreaking as well. Cause again, you've got someone so beloved that just like behind the scenes, you know, maybe isn't reciprocating all that love that's coming their way. That's maybe, you know, not the the story behind the scenes. And I think that it's, I think for the better, it sort of allowed the fashion industry to sort of take a step back and to recognize that people are suffering and that maybe the, the nest of the, the fast paced lifestyle Um, Although it is beautiful at times and it draws a lot of us in, I have to say the adrenaline rush is what draws me into fashion and I love it dearly. And I think it's um, it's a drug at at its best in some ways. Um, But I also think that 
uh, it can become very lonely at many times. And I think that is something in which can sort of take a hold of you and make you feel like you're the only person suffering because people are still fast paced around you while you are feeling lonely. Even if you do have, you know, a, a 30 person team around you telling you that you you're the best, it's that one person that says that you aren't. And I think sometimes that can very much um, affect us as artists and, and especially in this industry, particularly. Um mm-hmm. How do you think that it's affected you? I know that you've spoken a little bit about people pleasing and how that sort of uh, was a space in your life where because you were people pleasing, it then took you to a a downward spiral that that then ignited something bigger and a huge changing moment in your life, which I really want to get into because I'm so proud of you for it. Um, And I think it was a huge shift for us to start to have an open conversation as friends about what you were really dealing with behind the scenes. I think that, you know, like I, again, I didn't have an outlet and I, I think as creatives, um, there's something about our sensitivity level that I think just on a whole is like, there's a higher sensitivity going on. And then you've got just like, um, there's, there's, buzziness always happening. You're Mm -hmm. always thinking of the next step. You're always like just thinking up and dreaming up things in your head. Cause I I think that creatives, like we are the dreamers out there. And so that can just, that takes on so much that you've got people depending on you. You've got all these ideas bursting out of you at any given moment. Um, If you don't have some sort of stability and grounding going on, it's so easy to just get carried away by all of that. And that's exactly what happened to me is that burnout became a very real thing in my life because what I thought was, um, you know, the correct thing, which was to give it 110%. Sure. I was doing that, but I was overdoing it. I Mm -hmm. was completely neglecting myself and it did. It just got to a point that I had no healthy coping mechanisms and I was reaching for substances. I was reaching maybe even for like people that, shouldn't have been in my life. Like I was, I was desperate for those tools, but just like, didn't have them. And unfortunately what I was able to grasp onto became like very big negatives in my life that led to, um, you know, a bit of a, a downward spiral. So hard for me to hear because I don't think we, me and you were very close at that period of time because I was traveling and we mm-hmm. didn't have the sort of relationship that we've had in the past or that we have now. And, um, to know that you were going through all of that and silently suffering while still trying to, you know, put on the, the brave face of I've got it all together is really difficult to hear. And um, I know that the fashion industry is one that puts a lot of pressure on many people. And what I'm hearing is it instead, it was like a creative release flipped into then going straight to just pressure filled and that pressure filled teetered way more than the creative release. And it's like, you couldn't get away from it. Mm -hmm. So what was that next step for you? What ended up happening within that period of time for you moving forward when you did feel like you were going to all these different outlets that necessarily weren't serving you, but you were confused on where to go next? What did you do? 
for me, um, drinking became a big problem and that, that was maybe my biggest vice and biggest crutch. And I just, I didn't know how to use it responsibly, but, um, I used it as an aid thinking that that was, I truly looked at it as medicine, like a medicinal thing, which is very, very shaky grounds to be on looking at it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm being completely candid, it was to the point at my worst where I was drinking 24 hours a day, like round the clock. Um, maybe I wake up early in the morning and can't go to bed. Oh, just have a little sip of vodka here and there. Um, in the morning, if I feel a little jittery, like have like some wine very early in the morning, like there was mm. never a period that it was too late or too early for me to have a drink. And mm. that cycle just became um, a big a big cloud in my life of just, um, muddled decision-making, um, feelings of just like my self-worth was like, it plummeted and it, it did get to a point. I was not able to do my job anymore. I, as much as I tried to hide it and come across as, you know, cool, calm and collected, it did get to a point where it was interfering in all aspects of my life and dehabilitating. Um, and that was when I, um, I had a brush with a suicide attempt and suicide had not been something really in my life prior. I'd had depression, but I don't think I'd ever want it to like end my life. Um, And what happened is I got to a point that I didn't want to die, but I no longer knew how to, how to live is what it got to. Mm -hmm. And you, well, uh, thank you for, for sharing all of that. And I know that that can be a very scary place to be. And I'm yeah. very happy that, you know, you are in a place that you've done so much work on yourself that you can physically say this and speak about it into a place of um, preventive help to help another person and to even help yourself by being able to vocalize it so that you aren't in the shadows anymore when those triggers do kind of arise or a flare up comes into the way. I know you did mention you you did call the National Suicide Prevention Helpline. Um, what was that like for you? Because we speak so ever often about it with speaking to different nonprofits about how this is the place to go. And I still, to this day, feel like I look at it as, yes, it is a great outlet for people to call, um, but there is a stigma around it and a daunting one on what's going to happen next once you do pick up that call. So I would be very curious to know, and for anybody who's listening who um, may you know have dialed it before and then hung up because they were too scared to go forth, you know, mm-hmm. what was that experience like for you? For me, um, just to say very bluntly, it saved my life that day. It completely did um, because it got me out of the immediate urgency of desperation that I was in. I was in such a spiral is what it was. I've never had anything like that happen since, Um, but it was all consuming. All I knew is that I couldn't take the pain anymore. I couldn't take the suffering anymore. I just wanted calm. And in my, my idea, like at that time, because it was, um, you know, an unhealthy mind is that I would be better off, like not here, um, which is completely not the case. So calling the, the national suicide hotline was, um, it was almost out of body to be honest. It's like mm-hmm. when you, I don't know if you've ever had to, but it's like when you have to call 911 for the first time, like you've mm-hmm. been, you know of it, you kind of like know what the gist of to say, but it's just like, it's a very hard call to make 
because it brings into this reality of like, this is a major problem. Like if, if I'm needing to call to speak to a stranger to really pull me off the ledge genuinely, um, I've got to reevaluate and look at and assess what is going on in my personal life that's causing this detriment because um, that's a pretty, it's a pretty big red flag. Um, not anything that you need to be ashamed of or scared of, but it is, it's a really huge red flag. But I would say to anyone who is thinking of suicide or harming themselves, it is such a brave call to make. And I would urge you to, because it is going to, the, the professionals there are wonderful. They get you out of your head. They help you to, um, have a sense of calm, which is very like necessary because at that point you're in a very black and white sort of like point of view that can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, I think they completely did their jobs that day. And at least, um, on this end, they saved a life that day, which I'm so thankful for. Well, I am too. And I, I, w- I want to know, you know, what, what were the steps then after that? Did they just hang up the call? Did you go somewhere immediately or did you sort of feel like it brought you back to um, being able to see your senses a bit clearer that were around you to then be able to go, all right, my next step is treatment or my next step is getting back into therapy. I knew my next step was treatment simply because of the severity of everything. Um, Like without getting into detail, my suicide attempt was a close enough call that it, it scared me straight. It completely just like frightened me. And I knew that you, um, a normal dose, normal meaning going in, you know, just a few times a week, perhaps talking to someone that I needed way more intense care than that. And, Mm -hmm. um, round the clock care, because at that point I was, I was a bit of a liability to myself. I remember telling them at the hotline, I didn't know if I could be safe by myself that day. And so what they did is they gave me a list of treatment centers in the Los Angeles area that like, if needed, I could just simply walk into and say, Hey, I need a bed. I'm scared of like being by myself and harming myself right now. And like, no questions asked, they're going to help you out. So that, that let me know that not only was there help out there, um, but that I, I needed to get out of California was another thing too. There's this bubble here in Los Angeles that like, I knew I had to get out of that bubble. Um, yeah. It wasn't enough to just go, you know, oh, let me go to Malibu and go to a, a rehab out there, which those rehab centers are great. It's not at all to say that they aren't wonderful spaces, but for me, I needed to get out of the environment of like seeing people that maybe are familiar faces. Like I just needed it to be a bit more worldly um and a bit more authentic i'd say so i traveled out of state to go to to rehab i went to a treatment center out in arizona and the time frame for me calling the national suicide hotline to treatment i'd say was about a two-week span um because there are just like logistics you got to go through like there's interview process um just to make sure that you're going to the blessed best treatment center possible. Um, so yeah, it was about two weeks from that phone call to walking through the doors at the treatment center. Wow. And in the midst of those two weeks, did you ever end up going to any of those treatment places that you could just walk into in LA? 
I didn't wind up um, going to any of them. It, it didn't get to that point. I had more eyes on me at that point. My fiance really was checking in a lot more. I had the support of my parents. They knew what was going on. I felt like I had enough. Um, I had entailed enough like rescue um, people in my life that I was able to get by those two weeks without needing to, to go anywhere else. And then when you went to treatment, you know, what was that like? Was, was there ever sort of a moment you were there where you were like, oh, wow, whoa, like how, you know, <laughs> is this the right place for me? Or were you very much, you know, did you have your brave boots on the whole time way through and go like, you know what, this is, I know this is where I need to be and I'm going to stay here until, uh, you know, I feel comfortable where I don't need to, uh, you know, where, where I know that I have control again over where my mind can go because I have the tools to be able to walk alongside it. Um, I'm going to try to not cry talking about it, but treatment. But that's um, okay. <laughs> treatment was. Stay, stay here. I love you. <laughs> it's a very, for me, it was really shame filled. I, I remember vividly just being like, that, that first night in treatment being in basically the equivalent of like a hospital bed with mm -hmm. a roommate, um, having nurses come by to take your stats and give you like administer medicine. I mean, it's very, it's like out of a movie. And mm -hmm. I just was so filled, filled with shame because I was like, how did my, how did I get here? Like, how did things go so wrong? Where is the moment that things like fractured so much that like, I lost control in my life because I did. I felt a complete sense of loss of control. Um, and it was just it was heartbreaking. My my heart was broken when I went into to rehab because as much as I knew that I needed it in order to save my life, which it completely did. Um, knowing that and going through the motions and having to do the work is it is a hell of a job to do. Um, there were so many emotions being there. Um, sometimes I would be so proud of myself. Other times I'd be elated that I had the opportunity to do something like a 40 day treatment. Um, other days, again, it would kind of go into that self-loathing of like, what are you doing here? Like, just get over it kind of a thing. So every day was, was pretty up and down, but what was so, so beautiful about it is having an incredible team of professionals around me that I was able every single day, no matter how I woke up feeling, no matter where I was on the spectrum, having multiple people to hear you and like mm. really hear you out and walk you through steps of like, why are you feeling this day to day? That mm. intense um, microscope that I was under, it, as much as it was, it made me a little squirmy because it's, it's uncomfortable, but every day I could feel like brightness coming out of that. I could feel growth coming out of that. And so I knew that I had made the, the right decision. Um, day one, I knew that I'd made the right decision, but there was definitely like times that I had to reassure myself that, um, you did the right thing, checking yourself into here. Cause it's, as you can imagine, there's, there's things you see and things you go through or that you hear that you just can't believe it, that, that you're witnessing that or that you're going through that or that your emotions can go there. Um, it can be scary. It can be very scary at times. Uh, I think that, that the honesty around your experience is key because I think everyone has a different experience with it. And 
to say that everybody's going to be able to go into treatment and go like, this is the best place for me. And I know that I need to be here. I don't really think is true. I think that it's going to be a battle. And I think that's what, um, what our emotions can be at times they can be battling. And sometimes you need that extra support and that extra care to say, I'm going to walk with you to battle these together. And no matter if you have a good moment, that doesn't mean that, you know, tomorrow you're going to have, you might not have that, that bad moment might not come back in. So maybe you do need to sit here with me for a little bit longer, as much as you think that you're ready to go. Um, and I think yes. that I applaud you beyond for all the phenomenal work. And when you opened up to me about treatment um, after the fact of going was when me and you, I think instantly got a lot closer and instantly had a, a a connection like no other. And I think that that rings true about the importance in speaking up with each other about how we're feeling and validating the other person in their, in their period and their process and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were in treatment, do you feel like there was a bit of relief because you were with a group of people that were all feeling sort of the same way or going through some of the similar situations that you felt like you had had been put through over the past course of of the month or so? It took time for me to get to that sort of a place. I did eventually get there where I was learning and growing from the others that were around me. But I would say in the very beginning, um, like those first two weeks, I I kind of isolated. I was yeah. so terrified, like I said, um, just terrified of myself, terrified of the way my mind was kind of thinking, because I was having thoughts that just they were coming from out of nowhere, just these very real and raw um, negative thoughts that I, I had never experienced, but at least I was in the safety of, of the grounds of a rehab center where I, I was able to explore those ideas of like what was happening. But yeah, it took me, it took me a little while to warm up to the other patients. Um, and I, I it, that was simply because I was really trying to get a grasp on the situation myself. Like it took Mm -hmm. a minute for things like the dust to settle because initially coming in, um, you know, going into treatment, I remember you, uh, you take a breathalyzer and I remember being terrified. I wasn't going to blow a 0.00 and this was 10 AM on a weekday. And so that's how I'm like going into this place and they're doing skin Mm -hmm. checks on you. You know, when you go in, um, they, the nurses, um, two of them come with you and they do a skin check and I'm, I'm standing there wondering why. So I ask, and they're like, oh, it's, uh, for track marks. And like, that's just not even anything. I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, you're right. Like there's people here that, that do drugs and that's something you got to look for is track marks. And, um, there were just a lot of very harsh realities in the beginning that you have to go through of just like, this is where your problem has, has led you. I think I had to deal with the, the consequences, the having to go through withdrawals. Like I had to go through that on my own um, because that was, that was one of the most challenging points was those, those first few days of like having to get dry basically. Mm. 
Well, I, I, I applaud you for your bravery and I applaud you for following through and for staying there because I know that you knew that you needed it. Although I think it's the fear of the unknown for anybody, you know, when they're going into a situation like that. And that's why I'm so honored that you have been so willing to come on today and to speak openly about it because it's less daunting to know one, that somebody else has been through it. And two, to kind of have a little bit of an overview of what it looks like and what you're getting yourself into so that you go like, okay, Hey, I, you know, it isn't like, it isn't like the movies where they put you in a stray jacket and you know what I mean? It's like, it's they, it's destigmatizing it and allowing a bit more humanity to treatment by saying it's actually a wonderful place. That's very forgiving and says that we want to validate you with wherever your feelings go to in that moment in time. And the more that we speak openly about that, hopefully the more people will want to reach out to get help when a crisis does start to arise, just like you mm-hmm. did. And that was a very brave, selfless, beautiful thing. And I'm just, by the graces of God and the universe, I'm so happy that you did pick up that call that one day. And I hate to know that at that period of your life, we weren't connected, that you couldn't call on me as a friend, but I feel so liberated to know that we now have a relationship where we both can lean on each other because we've been through similar situations and know that it's okay to not be okay all of the time. Um, you know, one of the things I I do want to talk to you about is after treatment. You know, I think you spoke to me before about how in the African-American community, there is this sense of uh, possible stigma or suppressed culture that comes to face when you have somebody who is asking for help or asking for treatment. Um, What was that like for you? and, And what would be your experience to anybody else who's out there today? You know, for me, um, going into treatment as an African-American woman was very othering. Um, Immediately, I did not see anyone that looked like me. So I was like, all right, here we go again. Another situation of being the only one of color in the room, because in the fashion industry, I unfortunately and still to this day, I'm so accustomed to that. You can have a crew of 50 people and I've had it where like, truly I'm the only black person that's, that's on set. Um, and that's a whole other slew of, uh, you know, another conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty othering. Um, I didn't have that connection of, you know, someone from a similar, either a similar background or just someone that looked like me that I could kind of go to and count on, you know, it was a lot of, I'll just be honest. It was a lot of white faces. Um, and as much as I'm used to that, there was a vulnerability at that time and place that it would have helped a lot to see someone that looked like me. It would have really done a lot for my self-esteem um, because there there was always sort of having having to prove myself, having to prove my worth of like, well, why is this black girl at rehab? Like, why is she the only one? Like, what is going on? So I felt that there was a lot of like eyes on me. Um, mm. Curiously so, but like, it did, it felt a little bit like being in, in an exhibit at times, just because again, I was, I was the only one up until the last couple of days that I was in treatment. And then, um, there were two more black patients that were admitted. And I was like, where were you this whole time? It would have been great to have you here. Um, but it was, it was difficult. Um, I'd be lying to say that that wasn't something it's a cold, harsh reality that unfortunately a lot of, of black people, we have mental health problems in the community. Um, and unfortunately there is a, there's a lack of empathy at the end of the day, because a lot of times we're, we're sort of told to 
um, we'll just get over it. Like, or, or just like pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That sort of attitude is Mm -hmm. still very rampant in the community. And so I think between that and then unfortunately the despondency of, of funds allocated to, to, you know, the black community being able to even afford what it costs mm-hmm. to go to a treatment center. Um, you know, that's, it's so unfortunate because I, I don't think anyone should have to be denied access to that sort of health care simply because of, of monetary reasons. And so, you know, I've got a lot of thoughts on that just because it, it did, it opened my eyes to how underrepresented um, African-Americans are in, in that world of, of, the mental health and treatment and rehabilitation, like we're just really, really under, under, um, underrepresented. Definitely. And I, I, one of the things that I would love to say though, is I feel like you have done so much work after seeing that to be able to be a leading force for so many, um, to be able to create that change, especially in group therapy and being able to make sure that diversity and inclusivity is always of utter importance to make sure that you are in a group of people that you feel like you can relate to in some shape, form. Um, you know, what does this treatment look like for you after the fact? And, you know, how did you find group therapy? I mean, I know there's definitely been times where I'm like, yo, can I jump in? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm feeling it today. Oz, you got one for me? Like, I'm like, where do I go? <laughs> Tell yeah. me now. Um, because, you know, and, and I love that. I love that we have that relationship. I also think I love that about myself and I'll just applaud myself for one second. I think it's awesome that I'm like, I know I'm feeling this. There's somewhere I can go. <laughs> like, like, uh, hi. Um, but it can, it can be very hard to find and it can be very daunting to find, to even go through that process. If you aren't in a place of knowing that it's okay to not be okay. If you're still in a yeah. place of it's, I'm not okay. I'm not okay, but it's not okay. Um, it can be really daunting to find those group therapies and know where that outlet is. So, you know, Mm -hmm. for anybody who is listening, because you do work so heavily on trying to find outlets and groups that do identify with you and I do identify with bigger communities, what would you say, where can somebody go? How has this impacted you? Because since treatment to where we are now and so forth. Um, I would definitely say that like AA and NA are great places to go. And I know that that may not seem like kind of like your first obvious choice because AA is, you know, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, but like with NA, um, you can go there and and NA helps with people who are, maybe you're related to someone who is an alcoholic or a friend of, or a a spouse too. Um, it's just, it's a really great community that like, it's all are welcome. Um, I've never been to a bad meeting. What's wonderful now with the pandemic is that they're all on zoom. And so they're just so easily accessible and they've made it amazing at, at AA where it is. Um, I think there's only three hours out of the day that they don't have meetings. So 21 hours, they've got round the clock care for you. So I'm talking if you, it's 3 a.m. in the morning and you need someone, maybe it's you and only two other people in the room. There's still a room and a place and a space for you to hold mm. to to get by and to help each other. Um, another place that I really, really love is this site called The Mighty. And The Mighty is just um it's this community that's like, it's been created basically to like connect people who are facing different mental health challenges and so, and disabilities. So it's a broad range of like, you've got bipolarism, 
um, depression, suicidal ideation, just all of these things. Um, you've got this whole, it's like a message board community basically. And mm. I, I came upon it because a friend, a publicist friend of mine, um, he's a member there and he was having a Q and a one day and had asked me if I would join. And so that's, and that was just a few months ago, maybe like three or four months ago, but I really wow. love the mighty because it's there all day. And it's really, it's an active forum. Like that's what's so yeah. great about it. It's not dormant. So like you really can go there and get immediate like connection to somebody who's going through the same thing. Um, so love that site. And then the other place that I would suggest going to is um, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Um, that website, which is samhsa.gov, that site will take you to like basically the steps on how to find a treatment center. Um, mm. Because I know that just from experience, I I only knew where to go because my younger brother had been to treatment himself for depression a few years back. But had that stint not have happened, I would have been in the same boat of like, where do you actually go to find treatment centers? Um, you know, especially when it's out of state that I was wanting to go. So that website really does help a lot because it starts at the basic and it walks you through the steps um, and you can go based on like, you know, how, how much it is or how long of time that you have to go. Cause I, I was able to do 40 days, but there's, I think treatment centers um, there's most of them are a minimum, like about 20 ish days. So it's nice to know that you've got that like round mix of everything. Um, but those are just, those are some of the places I go to. And also, um, you know, my, my rehabilitation center has a alumni group and that group means so much to me because, um, it's camaraderie. There's something about having these people that like, we've all, we've all gone through this very, very specific, journey together that like you just can't tell others how it is I can try to sit here and explain it to you like what it was like being in Arizona at this like haven because really that's what it became was a safe haven but to have other individuals out there that have walked that walk um at separate times but like where we're all together in it that meeting it's once a week but I, I honest to god wish it was every single day because it just it means so much to me and we get so much work done work meaning you know getting to see we do group work and so getting to see others healing that mm. does something for me, even though it may be, I'm not the focus that day of the work. I always get something back from these groups. Always. I went to Al-Anon at a very young age. And at mm -hmm. that period of my life, I didn't necessarily know the impact it would have on me when I grew older. But as you get older and you start to recognize how great it is to have group therapy of people who actually understand what you're going through um, is a beautiful thing. Like, I want to go check out The Mighty um, just out of pure curiosity. But I think no matter if it's a group that's already out there, you can also make that group within your friend group as well. And I yeah. think that it's about remembering that vulnerability shows vulnerability. And then you are able to have that sort of open space to talk about these things and deal with them. I have one girlfriend of mine um, who, when I went back to the UK, we started asking each other five things a day that we were grateful for and, and really checking in 
in on each other and made it a scheduled thing at a period in our lives. And I'm so grateful that we did. And it just sort of naturally happened. And it was like this amazing thing to make sure we were both accountable for how we were checking in with ourselves, but that the other person knew what the other person was actually truly dealing with so they could be there in a time of need. Um, So there are so many different ways in which you can be there for each other and that there are so many different communities welcoming and waiting to hear from you. Um, I want to know, you know, you know, out of treatment, into treatment. I mean, I know that you've touched on that you've struggled with anxiety and you've struggled with depression. Do you still see flare-ups and triggers arise? And what tools do you use now that help you? Because I'm sure that as we all talk about on here, having a big toolbox is really, really key. And now you've got a really big toolbox. So I'm like, (laughs) can tell me what's in this toolbox? Because I'm sure you have better things than just a skincare routine. So give it to me. (laughs) So um, I'm going to use an example of last week because it's, it's very fresh still is that one of my clients, um, one of my clients, her name is Christina Grimmy. I um, lost Mm -hmm. her. Well, we lost her five years ago to a murder suicide at a meet and greet. And last week was the fifth year, like anniversary of her passing and that day usually is the build up to it is dread. Um, it's so much dread because it's just like I go back to the feelings of when I got that phone call from my manager, who was also her manager. But that phone call of that initially she had just been hurt um, mm-hmm. to very quickly hang up and maybe five minutes span and getting a phone call of she's gone. Um I go straight back to that trauma. That trauma is a huge part of why um, I chose initially to start self-medicating with alcohols because I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, It was too much, too fast. And, you know, last week it it wasn't terrible. I, I finally, you know, this, I was getting to this light, this place where people keep saying like, um, eventually you will smile, you'll smile first thinking of the person before you, you will cry. Um, and I'm finally, finally getting over that hurdle because, you know, when I think of Christina, um, before it, it almost always would bring tears and sometimes it still does, you know, like last week I got a wonderful video from a friend of hers, um, that they had sent to me. I was out of town and they sent me just like a hello video. And I mean, it, it, of course, like it breaks my heart. Like she should still be here today. Um, but I, I had the tools finally to be able to deal with this, knowing that like, first of all, it's okay to cry. It is so okay to cry. It's great to cry. It is such a good release. It is a wonderful thing to do. Don't ever mm-hmm. think that it's, it's bad that you're crying. Cause I know, um, at least for myself, when I was little growing up, it was kind of like, stop crying. Like that was mm-hmm. just sort of this very quick knee jerk reaction to crying in the household was stop. Um, now it's like, no, let the tears flow. If that's what needs to happen. Moan it um, out. <laughs> exactly. So just a good, use your cry. voice. It's power. Exactly. A good, a good cry will, will set you free. I promise. Um, and then I've just got like little routine things like things like scents. Lavender to me is extremely relaxing. So I've got, I've got room spray everywhere and like incense, but like <laughs> lavender really helps me like calm down. Yes. Um, 
lighting candles is a way that I get through flare ups. Um, and, and that, that may seem like little things you're like, well, Audrey, it's lighting a candle, but like Audrey didn't have those tools before, you know, 10 yeah. years ago, I didn't have something, the simple act of lighting a candle of a scent that I really like that immediately brings me back to a place or just kind of, um, you know, settles my emotions. I didn't know how big like something that small can be for you at the end of the day. Cause these tools, they don't have to be these mind blowing things and these huge like productions it's little actions every day that we can implement into our lives that can start helping us out, helping us deal and cope and process things instead of just things happening to us, like happening to us again and again and again, instead of just like waiting a second and like letting it, go through you instead of it just sort of like happening like at you, if that makes sense. I mean, scents and sounds, I think, are everything. I mean, right before we even started, I have my little, you know, eucalyptus oil. You know, but I do think scents and sounds are everything. And I also heard something um, through an energy healer about how, you know, we restrict ourselves so often to make noises and to make sounds that then shift the energy in our body. And so lately when I've been crying, it's like, I light it out. Like, it sounds like it's like a, you know, I don't know what it sounds like to be honest, but you know, (laughs) if it gets to that point, it's like, I'm vocally letting it out instead of restricting that because at the end of the day, it is, my body is telling me, use your voice as an energy healer to move the emotions that are going on inside you and allow them to release, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. we aren't taught that enough. We aren't taught enough to be um, okay with feeling, uh, just feeling anything in general. And especially when it comes to crying and certain places in which it's okay and it's not okay, especially at school. I think, you know, we're told specific times of which we should act a specific way. And mm-hmm. um, we all don't uh, react to things in the same way. And things can trigger us all in different ways. And it's beautiful that, you know, you say, even though that there's small things like lighting a candle or putting lavender scents you know that that somehow triggers something in you to take you to a beautiful place of calm and a place of groundedness that you need to go to. So it's amazing to hear you say that. And um, yeah, I mean, every year that we bring up the conversation about your dear friend, I mean, my heart goes out to you and my heart goes out to her family and to everybody else that was involved. And that was a very uh, public incident as well. And I think it's very, very, very troubling. And hard to hear, um, hard to hear that that is still going on today. You know, that there's still so much pain that's going on when it comes to the infliction of other people's, um, episodes, if you want to say, I guess that's how you want to put it. Going on into a beautiful thing. You're very self-aware now. And I think that that is something that is so admirable. And and to hear you say to me 
on many occasions um, and not in a bad way, in a beautiful way. I've got therapy tonight. I can't go to dinner. I've got this. I can't go to dinner. And you are sticking to your guns about it. And not a lot of people have that tenacity to work on themselves. And you, my missus, need to applaud yourself for doing that because you are amazing. That is an amazing, amazing tool mm-hmm. that you are saying, I am not going to miss this this week because I know that I benefit from it. And nothing can take me away from my personal self-awareness and my self-growth. Um, and when you get to that yeah. place, I think you're unstoppable with anything else that life is going to bring you. We'll touch on one last thing and then we'll go into some beautiful questions about you. But Mm -hmm. earlier this year, you know, while we were opening up with one another, we had this amazing opportunity to finally sort of break through the skeleton layers together and actually have more authentic conversations about our own mental health and how connected we actually are and that we never actually knew that right um Mm -hmm. it brought me to a passion project that i started earlier this year called check in with you and during that passion project you know we were just speaking friend to friend checking in with one another and you came on board as one of the contributors and i just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for lending your your insight your power your beauty your intelligence to l of the beyond but I really am curious to know like what check-in with you meant for you at that period of time because I was just so grateful that I had somebody that I knew uh I could bounce ideas off with but most importantly just wanted to do it like me like we just did it for the pure passion of wanting to be able to say like hey, let's encourage more people to check in with themselves and also check in, you know, with people around them because that's what we've done in our friendship. And it seems like it actually really helps and it can make a movement um, as simple as picking up the phone um, when someone's in crisis and that you don't even know it. I think that check in with you is, it's such a wonderful idea, first of all. So, I mean, thank you for that lovely like intro, but really hats off to you for being the brainchild of it. Um, because I love that it is using your platform and your voice in order to continue such a necessary conversation of that. It's, I know that we keep saying this, but that it is okay to not be okay because unfortunately that is still not a normalized train of thought. There are still lots of stigmas against that. There are still just societal norms that we have to start breaking down. Like the way that you were saying that I, I say something like, Hey, I've got therapy tonight. I can't go to dinner. That kind of statement has to be something that you can bravely say, knowing Mm -hmm. that the person like the recipient is going to receive it and to Mm -hmm. hear you. Like we got to start listening to each other. That's what check in with you is about is it's about this openness and this braveness and a vulnerability and a rawness. That's Mm -hmm. what drew me in is to have people start coming back together to connect human to human mm-hmm. instead of just like person to person, like to really go in depth and like allow space for there to be negativity if that's what it is, or, you know, if it's depression that day, or if it's just, you know, not feeling like your best, whatever it may be, it, it's having that space to hold that an individual and hopefully individuals in your life are going to respect, care for, and help you through those moments instead of it becoming this combative thing of like, you know, it doesn't have to be a selfish thing. If someone tells you that they've got therapy session, um, your understanding, I'm just using you as the example, is it means the world to me that you understand when I say that, because I know that our friendship goes beyond 
um, just the the norms of like, oh, okay, well, she can't go to dinner and like you making assumptions. Like, I just know that you're receiving what I'm saying um, yeah. just for what it is and hoping, you know, just hope only giving me positivity and hoping for the best instead of there being any ulterior motive to it. And so just again, check in with you. Um, there's, there's a realness to that, to it that I really, really like. There's authenticity about it that I think we're advocating for that again, seems so apparent in society, but it's very lacking. And I well, hope it's, it's bringing- Yeah, it's so funny. Cause it's like, I hear you say this and like, I had a friend of mine the other day be like, you need hobbies, right? And I get this, I get that like, <laughs> I mean, you know that I, I get that written on my face like every single day. And I'm like, yes, I know, but my job is my hobby. Deal with it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and uh, you know me more than anybody. I, I, I'm a workaholic. I work 24 seven all day, yeah. every day without, without batting a blind eye. And I can go into sort of a burnout sometimes. So that's where the people around me go, well, you need a hobby. And I go, well, my hobby's working on myself. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I, I was like, I want to go and do a shamanic healing. And I was like two days ago, like researching everywhere I could go. Like, I was like, how much is flights to go to like Palm Springs for the night to like go to too much palms and like go to sound bath and shamanic healing. And my friend was like, no, you need a hobby. And I was like, hold on, honey. I was like, how cool is it that my hobby is actually working on myself? I was like, right now, now tell me I need a hobby. I was like, I was like, because working on yourself and encouraging yourself and encouraging others to work on themselves is the best gift that we can give ourselves and the best gift that we can give the world really as well, because then we have a stronger place to use our voices for good and for power. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, what you're saying is the sense of you are checking in with yourself by doing therapy. My hobby, or if I ever have one, is checking in with myself and using that extra time that I have outside of the love that I have for my career to do work on bettering who I am so that I know that I can then live a fulfilled life where I understand my triggers or my flare-ups. And I think that's exactly what Mm -hmm. therapy has done for you. And it's a beautiful thing to hear. We're going to go into some closing questions now, which are just a few simple questions that make you, you, you sort of already tapped on this one, but I want to know another thing, you know, when you have a a episode that arises maybe with depression or anxiety, you know, what was the last thing that served you in a flare up or challenging moment, maybe outside of just sense and, um, candles. (laughs) Um, uh, last flare up that I had, I, I used grounding techniques. Um, I don't do that. You hear about like, there's this process called DBT that you hear a lot about in, in rehab. And, and it is, it's a process of, um, how you intake information basically and what you do with it. And Mm -hmm. I never realized that like, you know, I wasn't a lot that's said to me or that happens to me that I, I don't process. And so, being able to in the moment as I'm going through a flare up or as something is triggering me, just doing that age old thing of like spotting things around the room, like saying like, okay, Mm. that's a door, that's a handle, Mm. there's a button, like whatever it is, or like feeling the things around me. When I do grounding, it's such a, I love that I have that tool because it's so it's immediate and we all have it. Like, that's what I like is that we all have access to it immediately. I actually use that tool. 
this past month. Um, and I heard it from active minds when they said, you know, nice. say, say five things that are around you, like three things that I think you can hear and smell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, and it does, it just, it instantly brings you back to reality and then makes you go like, you're okay. You're okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you could sum up your mental well-being journey in one word without shame, what would that be? Humbling. Oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, lastly, I've asked you this question before once in your life, but I'm going to ask it again. What are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? These can be words, feelings, saying stories, whatever authentically comes to you. That I am stronger than I think that I am. Um, there's a strength to me that I'm realizing and appreciating every day. Uh that it's okay that I miss the ones that I love that aren't here anymore. Um, I used to give myself a lot of grief about that of, of I needed to get over it and really understanding mm. that like, it's okay that I miss them. I miss them desperately. Um, it's Christina and my younger brother and yeah. um, I allow myself to miss them. I used to not do that. And then the third thing I would say is um allowing my heart to be open. I think that I've been closed off for a long time. I'm, I'm pretty much an introvert and like I go in when things go wrong, I don't go seeking out help. My first thing is to just go in, shut down and to have my heart be open now. is just, it's such a softer freeing way to live. And I love it. I love you. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your vulnerability. I'm yawning by your honesty, (laughs) your insight. I obviously want to continue this conversation with you always on screen and off screen. But if anybody's looking to connect with Audrey and hear a little bit more about what she does, you can go to her Instagram or her Twitter, which is Audrey Brienne. She also has a wonderful podcast around the fashion industry called The DM, which is available on all podcast platforms Thank you so much, Audrey. Thank you. Love you. Love you. (laughs) If you're looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self. To always remember to leave with the three M's, that's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. You've got this, and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode. And remember, it's okay to not be okay in your journey to become grounded in the power of you. Now, one last thing, guys, some of the topics we discussed today may have been triggering. If you are in need to speak to a crisis counselor, please text home to 741-741 or head over to activeminds.org slash mhresources for curated resources ready to hear from you. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horenige, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler.
This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice. Do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.